In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is fitting that he who is their leader was made perfect through suffering. For the one who consecrates and those who are consecrated have the same origin. On this weekend, we're throughout the United States. We offer prayers and combine our goods to support the works of respecting life throughout this nation in all its forms. We hear in the Gospel and its precursor in the book of Genesis the divine teaching on the great sacrament of marriage. And to be mindful that this is this unique moment, the one sacrament that has a natural origin. All the other sacraments have a supernatural origin just directly from Christ Jesus. Marriage obviously existed in the world before Christ came into the world. He shows at the wedding feast of Cana and the miracle of water to wine that in marriage, in the sacrament of marriage, there is a power to transcend the ordinary and in the invocation and obedience to Christ have the extraordinary come to pass. And then in this doctrine he teaches, he hearkens back to the very creation of the world, that the sacrament is a restoration. It transcends mere institution, mere contract, mere agreement, and goes back to the creational and foundational principle of human life. And it has the great dignity of a sacrament. Just think about any of the other sacraments. When someone is baptized, original sin is washed away, divine life is poured into them. They are baptized once. They're not baptized ever again. They might forget their baptism. They might offend their baptism, but they can never be unbaptized or rebaptized. When someone is confirmed, the might and power of the Holy Spirit is sealed onto their soul. They're never confirmed again. They might not access it. They might not call on the power of the Holy Spirit, but they are in fact confirmed. When someone is ordained a priest, they ordained a priest the one time they're never reordained, and even if a man should wander from his vocation or be obedient, he is always a priest. When your confession is heard, that sin you confess, you never reconfess it again. The power of God touches it in that moment, is that binding and eternal seal of power. And so too, the dignity of marriage is raised up into the hierarchy of the sacraments and imbued with that exact same power reflected in different ways, of course, but there it is. That icon, that place in the divine forge and in the divine fire of a married life, one man, one woman, one lifetime, one flesh with openness to children. It is no coincidence that in the gospel, immediately after teaching the doctrine on marriage, Christ welcomes the children. They are tied together. And in a sense, the life of Christian marriage the divine forge and power and the respect and dignity we show to it becomes, as it were, the icon in the cradle of human life. You know, we have that sort of aphorism that, quote, women grow up to be just like their mothers. Well, you, you see that a lot for a reason, because they grew up in a family. I, when I was at uh, St. Paul's at UW-Madison, I would see young ladies dating young men and wonder, like, why is she dating that guy? I don't quite get it. Then her family would come to visit. I'd meet her dad and be like, okay, now I've got it all figured out, right, plus or minus. And again, and it's an illogical thing. It makes sense. That fire and that forge. 
Now, I'm not married. There are many of us in church who are not married for one reason or another. We're young. We haven't discovered our vocations yet. Perhaps much of life has gone on. Marriage has ended for one reason or another. God has not called us into the married life, perhaps. But yet I need, we need good examples of Christian marriage. If all I meet is Christian couples who can't stand being married to each other and complain about their spouses all the time, that does not edify my soul. I, I lose some of the zeal I might have. And the converse, right? Christian married couples need good Christian singles and celibates and whatnot, living with joy and vivacity and faith, right? If you have a crotchety old priest who complains about his vocation, that's not a positive thing, right? That's why sort of the the rise of celibates in the church can become a great and powerful witness. Or if one's marriage has ended for one reason or another, yeah, there can be a tremendous sadness and hardship there, no doubt. But to try to strive connected to Christ can be a great witness to all. And even in potentially a great witness to those beyond the institutional structures of the church. We know that married life is not always roses and candy that family life sometimes fails to live up to the high ideal to which it is called. We don't reject such scenarios. We don't judge them or cast them off. We do our best to embrace them and call them back to that high ideal, that high vocation, to understand that my life is a vocation, a calling into the heart and the forge and the fire of the divine life. That's why we need good formation about it, right? That's why it would be kind of bizarre if, you know, there was grandma and she was married to grandpa forever and they got old, grandpa passed and was very sad, and then grandma spent the rest of her life, you know, going to Vegas and living like a rock star. That doesn't fit, it doesn't work, it doesn't set the tone. Similarly, it doesn't give the formation if, well, you know, kids grow up and they're nice little boys and girls and then they're monsters as teenagers and act like uh, fools while they're in college and then sort of grow up and figure it all out and everything's fine. Well, it doesn't operate. Right? Conversion is always there. Grace is forever undying. You and I can always be better tomorrow than we were today and so forth. But in all things, to strive to offer that formation That is at the heart of the Find Your Greatness event, an event where we can gather together and be forged in those basic habits that whatever our vocation is, wherever we are in the sacramental or the spiritual life, we can build those habits that forge us on the direction to the totality of life in Christ. Think of the Mass, the sacrament I haven't mentioned yet. We build tabernacles because when that bread and wine are brought up and the priest prays the Mass rightly, that becomes the God-man. You would never consecrate those hosts again. You don't take the leftovers back into the sacristy and haul them out for the next Mass. It's not Jesus while we just sort of think it's Je- it is Jesus. And so there are tabernacles and purifications of vessels and when the people go to visit the sick they wear the burses around their necks. No, now again, we don't so much unveil brides anymore, though a lot of brides still wear veils. When what is dignified and important and yet regular ascends the altar becomes supernatural in marriage. Well, what happens when the chalice is brought to the altar? It's veiled. Only, it's, it's not decoration, it's not art. 
It is the ordinary thing that will house the extraordinary and divine grace. Praise God. So, as we must walk the path of the one who suffered for us unto glory, as we come to worship he who consecrates and we who are consecrated, we wish to respect all life flowing from that great, beautiful power and divine fire that God plants at the heart of Christian marriage. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.